0: Welcome to the Cabin Culture Podcast, where we spend a little more time diving deeper into all the fun parts of cabin culture. We like to think of this as both the material and imagined expressions of how cabin lovers, dwellers, builders, designers, and dreamers wish to live a more simple and authentic life. Some of you, like myself, may have been out back with an axe splitting some fresh wood for the fire some night, nail a log dead center, and think to yourselves, yep, Pretty much a real-life lumberjack. Well, you're not, and neither am I, but today's guest, Cassidy, is an actual competing professional lumberjack with the awards to prove it. He is also the face behind Hayward House in Hayward, Wisconsin. Cassidy has been involved in the short-term rental scene for almost 15 years and shares with Janice how he's seen the space change. They talk pricing for local events and seasons, selling your area, cancellation policies, and what changes they'd like to see in the Airbnb review system. All that and more on this episode of Cabin Culture. Okay. So let's
1: just let's just go for it. Because I have spent all morning okay. watching lumberjacking videos. So I'm just like super pumped <laughs> to chat with you. Um, although yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure folks listening don't. Know or might not know, depends if they follow you on Instagram, your background in lumberjacking. And we're going to get to that next. So, do you want to start by just introducing yourself and where you're located right now? And then, same thing for your cabin.
2: Yeah, name is uh, Cassidy Shear, and I am here in the small town of Hayward, located in northern Wisconsin. I was born and raised here. And uh, yeah, this is the cabin, the Hayward house. And, uh, right here on beautiful upper twin Lake.
1: So you live right where your cabin is like in that same small town.
2: I, I don't anymore. I, I, my full-time residence is in Minneapolis, about two and a half hours away. Okay. But, uh, yeah, Hayward. It, it, yeah. I mean, it was always a big part of my life. And, uh, you know, after college, I haven't lived here permanently, um, since, since high school, but, uh, Yeah, this is where my livelihood is now and uh, spending a lot of time, uh, you know, first on the Hayward House, but now on the six other lots I have next to it, which I hope to have nice cabins on all of them in the next five, six years.
1: Okay, this is interesting because I knew you were working on a new project and that was one of my questions was if that was the only one, if there was going to be more, did you buy one big chunk of land at once or have you just bought the lots as they went on sale?
2: No, I, uh, I bought the lot that the Hayward House is on in May of 2020. It was a standalone piece of property. Um, got it for dirt cheap, actually. I was kind of lucky that was in that period of time where we all realized that the world was not indeed completely uh, one big dumpster fire. And we weren't all going to die. Yet also the, the major land boom Um, that we saw in a lot of vacation areas hadn't totally happened yet. And uh, it had been on the market a while. There were a lot of things that would be negatives for lots of people. But uh, I instantly knew once I could paddle a canoe back in here from my other cabin, which is uh, two bays uh, to the west, um, I knew it had a lot of potential, scooped it up, uh, built the Hayward House. And then, uh, you know, I'd been kind of creep in the neighbor's land, um, great big chunk of property, uh, 12 acres, some beautiful natural peninsulas. Um, you know, it had been around it in the, in the canoe several times, wasn't listed for sale, had a house that looked like it needed some work and a couple of garages, um, on it. And I just, I went on the, the state of Wisconsin registry and just, Looked on the public information, found a name and an address, and sent a letter. And just said, Hey, I bought the property next to you. I, you know, noticed that there's not much activity on the land. Would you be interested in selling? Didn't hear from him until a month later. I just got, I got a call and said, Hey, Cassius, this is Frank. I got your letter. Um, be happy to show you the property. So uh, Went out there with my dad.
1: Did it take him a month to get that letter or was he thinking about it for a month?
2: I have no idea. I didn't really ask. Um, I was just happy to go look at the property because at that point, it's like, okay, he's going to be open to a deal. And uh, yeah, the property was exactly what I thought it would be. And uh, we worked around on price a little bit, but um, in the end, it was pretty much a no-brainer. Um, yeah. I knew that I, you know, short-term rentals, I've been involved with them for 15 years now. And I know that it really is the highest and best use of my time in the way that I want to work. And I knew that this was a chance to really expand on what I had built here at the Hayward House and, you know, create something that really can be my principal livelihood for as long as I care to continue working.
1: Yeah. 15 years ago is far before the majority of people that you see talking about it now. I feel like the bulk of people I'm seeing now are all, especially in the cabin world, are all 2020-ish. Like During the pandemic, that's when a lot of folks started. What was happening in the short-term rental world back 15 years ago when you started and what got you into it?
2: Yeah, so I, I started it by, uh, you know, after college, I took a couple of years to be a globe trotting lumberjack and uh, backpacker. And uh, after spending nine months in South and Central America, I, I took a job in Costa Rica uh, with a development company, um, developing off-grid boat access only property on a river that flowed into the ocean. And, uh, you know, did all the subdivision work, infrastructure, very bare bones project. And uh, we, I, I designed and we built a house that was kind of the showcase model home for people, you know, that were coming down to potentially buy a property and uh, put it on uh, VRBO. Um, Airbnb had just launched, I think, and wasn't really too much of a market player then and uh, yeah, started started doing short term rentals. Didn't really know much about it. My dad had been renting our cabin in Wisconsin for a couple of years on VRBO. but uh, I mean, it's it hasn't. I mean the 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 fundamentals haven't changed. I mean, the uh, yeah, the exchange of goods and services is the same then as it is now. But there weren't nearly the, the tools, the platforms weren't nearly as technologically advanced. VRBO um, didn't have payment processing. Um, there was no online booking. It was merely basically just a listing site. And people would call you up. And you would get their information, put them on the books, go in and manually mark those dates off on the, on the calendar and then uh, have them send you a check or process a credit card. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it, and eventually, I mean, as that business grew, I mean, it was VRBO and, and HomeAway. They merged. They were just HomeAway for a while. Then they went back to VRBO. Um, we got on Airbnb a year after that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was always a nicer platform, more user-friendly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen all the changes to the platform, changes to the terms of service. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're both good, good platforms and they've proven that vacation rentals are here to stay.
1: Yeah, for sure. They gave access, they made access to your point of having to mail a check and do all the financial processing on your own. They certainly lowered that barrier for entry for a lot of folks, which explains where we are now. In the last 15 years of doing this, what are the biggest areas of growth for positive and what are the biggest areas of growth that you see as like big challenges in this space?
2: Well, I would say that it's, you know, I have a hard time thinking of any things that went backwards in any way. Um, It just, it got easier to use. It just became a more efficient marketplace and more and more things got automated Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there were, there were some weird situations back in the day. Um, you know, like your, your phone number was there online. So we would get calls all the time from bogus rental agencies saying we have all these ends and in with publications that market to police officers in a certain area and we'll get you all these bookings and they, they wouldn't, but you would just get spammed a ton. You know, that was that was annoying. And then there, there just weren't the checks and balances. Well, yeah. I mean, and there were also multiple points of sale. You know, you had to talk to them on the phone, get them to commit. But then you couldn't really count on blocking off the dates until you got an actual physical check in the mail. Then that check has to clear. Um, there were there. There were no calendar management tools. Um, you didn't have any sort of pricing tools, no outside software. I mean, it, it was very, very bare bones, but clearly the business model just really made sense and consumers wanted it. And uh yeah, I mean it's it's been fun to watch all the all the software, all the all the tools to help make it a more efficient marketplace get developed, get vetted. Um, a lot of them were things that you know I had I had thought using it like, hey, like we should really have a better way to manage the calendar. It'd be nice if they had online payments. And uh, it's been fun to watch the the platforms anticipate that and develop them on their own.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I have so many more questions about hosting specifically because that's what you and I have talked about a fair amount on Instagram, but I would kind of love to dig into the human and your history with this a little bit first, just because I think (laughs) it's uniquely fascinating So for those that don't know, Cassidy is actually the 2019 U.S. I'm going to say this wrong. Is it steel? Is that how you say it? Yes.
2: Steel Timber Sports.
1: This U.S. Steel Timber Sports champion. And you also were the silver medal winner in the world that year, which happened to take place in Prague, my favorite city in the world, which is exciting. But this is a fascinating sport to me. And despite being like fairly... involved in cabin culture. I don't know anyone else who competes in timber sports. Can you tell the people about what this sport is?
2: Sure. Yeah. So uh, timber sports or lumberjack sports would basically be like, you know, what rodeo is to cowboys, but for lumberjacks and loggers. Um, The area I grew up here in Hayward is, uh, you know, first got its start as as a logging town. And uh, we've always had a, a competition here called the Lumberjack World Championships uh, held in Hayward at the end of July every year. And uh, there was always a log rolling school, uh, you know, it's, I think it started in the 60s, where they would teach kids how to do the sport of log rolling um, right there in the Lumberjack World Championship venue. My father and all of his siblings took those lessons. My dad, Became a four-time world champion log roller. And then wow. back in the early 80s, right about, yeah, yeah like right around the year that I was born, um, he and his brother started an entertainment business, which is basically like a live lumberjack show where they perform all of the event skills, which were, again, all derived from actual logging skills back in the day. And turn it into you know a a, a paid admission performance essentially, and uh, we're able to you know grow, grow that business to the point where they had multiple shows in multiple locations. They developed basically like a traveling carnival rig where it's like a lumberjack stage you know folds up like a carnival ride and performed at fairs and. Festivals. So when I was young, I I started working at age fourteen. Um, I started logging at the age of four, and then learned all the skills and was you know pretty involved in my college years. And then I kind of took some time away when I was in Costa Rica working, and then later in life, in my mid thirties, I, I got back into it more on the the chopping and sawing side, and uh, yeah, went from you know not even making the cut to 40 athletes that get invited to the U S championship to winning in, in three years. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's basically like virtually
1: every year since you got first in 2019, but all as far back as I could find in 2017, you've placed every single year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always been a top 10 athlete and uh, you know, at that big competition here in Hayward, I have 12 in, yeah yeah i have twelve individual uh, event titles all the all the trophies are over in the lumberjack room here and uh yeah, yeah I, I mean it's a it's a weekend Yeah. Oh, yeah yeah so at the cat the hayward house here i've got i've got two bedrooms um the one is devoted to the lumberjack world championships it's got uh mm-hmm. old old marquee posters uh photos new and old i mean it, it's a it's an event that's been going on it it'll be the sixtieth year next year and uh, then I have all of my medals. I have some newspaper clippings about my family and I. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a tribute to one of two world-class events held in Hayward. The other is the uh, American Birkebeiner Ski Race. It is North America's largest cross-country ski race. I
1: think so I've, I've also got, seen this uh, one on your ski. Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
2: I've got old skis. I've got the old marquee posters. I've got Bibs in there, just a bunch of ski memorabilia. Um, yes. I mean, I, I called this place the Hayward house. Why not, you know, make the bedrooms kind of a tribute to the great events that happen here.
1: Yeah. Do you find that you stay in the cabin during those events or do you stay with family and rent the cabin during those events because they're such popular times for folks to be here?
2: Yeah. So the, the Berkey that's, that's the highest grossing nights of the year. I'm able to charge 750 a night here with a four-night minimum, which I know is my highest summer price is 600. But then again, that you know for LWC, the Lumberjack World Championships, it's it's 600 a night vans and uh, it's in high demand. So my parents each have two very nice places for me to stay up here. So uh, I am getting my. My ski and lumberjack rest there, and uh, stacking stacking the dollars here. So
1: <laughs> that makes sense. Can I ask you a question about that before I do have some more follow up lumberjacking questions? But I think that spec- event specific pricing is really hard for a lot of folks, myself included, because I do all my pricing manually. Do you use pricing tools? Like, how did you figure out that you could get seven fifty for those nights? during the event was it just trial and error over the years or do you just price it high and say if i don't get it i'll lower it at the last minute like how did you figure out that that's what you can get
2: yeah so that's that's a great question and i do very strongly believe that you know after choosing your location and nailing you know your design that that pricing and calendar management is is then the secret sauce um how you manage your calendar, how you price things out so you're an attractive value, but you're maximizing your dollars. I mean, that that really is what, you know, if you do it right, you can raise your revenues 15, 20 percent in a year. Um, so, it you know, a lot of it is trial and error. I don't use any pricing tools. I haven't seen a tool that can zero in on. The ebb and flow of demand in a a small market like Hayward, as well as I can by just hmm, looking at other people's calendars, looking at their pricing, and also just, you know, being tuned in with the local calendar. You know, I know when the ski trails have the best snow traditionally and when people want to come skiing. I know the key dates like when certain fishing seasons open. And then I know when you have events that might not be on everybody's radar, but are, are on enough people's radar to get up here. Like there's a couple bike races in the fall. There are, uh, you know, cross-country ski clinics on certain weekends that I just know that there's going to be an influx of, you know, upper middle income to high income individuals that are going to want to book this place because it it is so unique. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I would encourage anybody out there, you know, go on Google and start looking up community events or, uh, you know, things happening nearby that, that could drive demand. And also just like get in sync with, you know, when do the leaves typically hit their peak color in the fall? You know, when does the water warm up enough for people to start wanting to do water activities? Uh, You know, in, in your principal urban markets that, that, you know, are the consumers for your area? when do their schools get out and start in the summer? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. all, all those things really, really drive demand. And I've, I've had a, at, you know, an STR here in Hayward since 2015. So I, I've, I've, I've figured out all the rhythms of the year. Um, and then, you know, working in conjunction with pricing is, is your calendar. It, yeah, is how you manage your calendar. Um, are you doing things to eliminate the potential for gap days are you you know i don't allow saturday check-ins and checkouts i don't ever want to break up my weekends in yeah. the summertime i don't allow a monday check-in because then you know somebody wanting to book a weekend which i always price the weekends way higher even in the summertime um to get to count on somebody having to, you know, add a Monday or a, a Sunday night stay to their weekend is not always the easiest thing. So, you know, um, all these are just things I've learned. I've learned throughout the years and just been uh, intuitive about. And uh, yeah, I mean that's allowed me. You know, last summer I didn't I didn't employ the no thigh gaps strategy as I call it, <laughs> but uh, this year. I did, and I I haven't had a single vacant night since early May.
1: If you're dreaming about a cabin build, or are in the midst of a build, or you just bought a place and are getting ready to host for the very first time, regardless of where you are, sometimes you just need a little help along the way. Shared experiences from someone who's been there. Advice from someone who's learned a lot of lessons the hard way. That's me or a cheerleader as you finish up. All of these reasons are exactly why I started offering cabin consultations to our Instagram followers and friends who could use some specific one-on-one help. I can't promise to solve all your problems, but I can promise to be transparent about our build costs and process, our organization and project management systems, our favorite and least favorite tools for renting, how we market, and have we found ourselves with almost 80,000 Instagram followers and 100% occupancy in our first year of hosting at Cozy Rock. So if that sounds like it might help you, feel free to visit us at staycozycabin.com or on Instagram at Cozy Rock Cabin and sign up for a time to chat there. Wow. Okay. This is really helpful to hear. I have done everything manually, but have really, because we have three, although you have multiple too, have been bad at getting into the details. So like I'll look at a season and be like what did we price it last year? How long did it take to fill? But then within that season, I've never thought to do okay, the first 2 weeks in October are going to be higher demand than later in November. How do I price those differently? I just do 3 months at a time.
2: Right. Yeah, and it's it, it it is a lot to pay attention to and a lot to think about and sometimes it gets kind of complex like say, you know, the month of October, which is peak fall. In most places, um, our maples, which I think you know, like maples, are the star of of fall. Just because they they the leaves are brighter, they get a, a wider variety of colors from you know yellows to kind of you know deep purple that whole range. Well, the maples typically drop their leaves around here, you know, by the seventh or eighth of October, but people. You know, in the Minneapolis or southern Wisconsin metropolitan areas, don't really know that, so they'll still pay a high price for for later in the fall, which is still beautiful. Um, the oaks are going, the aspens, the tamaracks, but you know, I I, I keep that price higher in early October because I know that that's peak, and there there are people that will you know put more demand on those dates but I don't let it drop off because not everybody else knows that, you know? I mean, there are, there are some really subtle nuances that I feel like you can only really, you know, tune into once you've spent enough time in a market and thinking about what drives demand, what drives supply.
1: Yeah. And I think there's an element there of knowing your market really well. And in your case, you grew up there. So you have that working to your advantage and you have family there. I think for a lot of folks, especially who buy further away from their home and then expect to just like run it, they don't actually know the local economy, the local like ebbs and flows of the year as well. And I will say for Boone, North Carolina, our first one, I didn't know it that well. And I've gotten to know it over the last seven years. But the one in Maine, I have family there. I've been traveling there my whole life, still not totally tuned in, still working on it. But already had that advantage of understanding some of those things and what the appeals are, different times of year, things like that.
2: Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. And that's why you know I know that in my you know two to four hour driving radius of Minneapolis where I live, that there are other you know markets with great opportunity um, that I could certainly tap into. I just don't think there's any way that I won't ever know those markets as well as I know Hayward. And you know certainly yeah. I, I have uh, you know lots of economies of scale now that I have you know two here I' currently building a third and we'll have more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say to anyone, I mean the the better that you know your local market and community, um, the more profitable you can be. That said, you know, you don't, you don't have to know all this stuff. I mean, this is, this is getting that extra five to 10% edge. If you run a short-term rental, right. I mean, you can be extremely profitable, not really knowing much about the market um, or even being there, you can do things remote. There are amazing, you know, software tools now that'll do a lot of that for you. Um,
1: yeah, so I just, not fun, you know,
2: though. I, <laughs> It, it it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. And I, you know, the other half of why I'm, you know, putting my livelihood, all my livelihood eggs in this basket, more or less, is because I do find it incredibly fun. Um, I love the design process. I love the decorating process. Um, I really enjoy those messages from guests as they're checking out. Or after they've left, even just saying how meaningful the time spent there was and how they were able to, you know, connect with nature, connect with each other. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that that just really feels good. And that kind of goes back to my to my lumberjack entertainment days where, uh, you know, I, I always tell people, like, it was the most fun summer job as a high school, college kid because people clapped for you when you were done. How many jobs are there out there where people, you know, clap for you and tell you how awesome you are after you're done?
1: That is such it's a good the, point.
2: It's it's an amazing feeling.
1: I will say cuz like for full time I run a video production company and I remember we started in weddings and in weddings you deliver a film and the response is always or usually, "Oh my gosh, I love it so much. This was the best day. You captured it perfectly." And it's all these thank yous. When we moved into commercial work, understandably, It's a like strategic video less than it is an emotional video. And so usually when you deliver a film and commercial work, they just come back at you with feedback, which is great. That's part of the process. That's what it should be. But I have noticed in recent years, the cabins have become my place where it's like, okay, this is the one place I get like positive reinforcement in my life versus at work where it's just, you know, productive, but there's a lot of feedback in order to improve. And I feel like cabins are a good source of that if done well and you make people happy.
2: Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. I mean, I got a, I got a message once it was two months after this woman had stayed here, her husband had stage four cancer and they came and they spent a three day weekend here in the fall. And, uh, it was two months later, he had passed and and, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This just popped up in my DMS on Instagram and she talked about, How meaningful it was in many ways, because when they were here, they kept on talking about how much they wanted to come back because they were enjoying it so much. And she mentioned how it was one of the few things that she saw him get excited about for the future. And he kind of momentarily forgot about the stage that he was at with his battle against cancer. And uh, and, and it, it was moving. I mean, I, I got a little choked up and and you know she ended up booking a trip back that spring with her daughter. And, uh, you know it's 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 stuff like that where you know you, you would never really think that a cabin or a vacation could give someone some sort of hope, and then even that, you know, the person who experienced that would reach out to you and, and share that with you. And it, I, I felt, I felt honored and it was, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the most, you know, deeply emotional example, but that comes in many different, different forms. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's immensely gratifying and it makes me feel good about what I'm doing. And if I can feel good and excited about my livelihood and I'm 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 winning at life
1: 100%. Yeah. What do you think it is about ca- I'm trying to imagine a world in which like someone in my life were sick and I would just book a nice house to go to. You know what I mean? But a cabin. What is it about a cabin and you're now building multiple cabins versus houses that you think lends itself to that kind of um feeling of escapism from the real world in a way that I don't think houses do?
2: yeah I think it I think a lot of it probably goes back to just what the initial and general concept- concept of a cabin is to people. you know when I hear the word cabin I instantly think of something you know quaint, cozy, small, isolated in the woods or the mountains um and you know those could be you know considered to be. Harsh environments, yet the cabin is is what protects you from them. Um, cabins are where you go to get away from the hustle and bustle of your life. Or if you're mm-hmm. like half the country, live in a city, it's, it's just a very different experience. Um, and I, I, I think that's, yeah, you know, beach house doesn't or tropical house or whatever, you know, city condo just doesn't. Offer up that same idea of being secluded and being surrounded by nature and being protected. I think it's almost like I can escape. Yes, yet I'm also safe. And uh, you know, I don't. I'm not really aware of what the cabin culture was pre-COVID. I wasn't on Instagram until 2020. Um, Wow. Yeah, but I, I have to imagine that you know we all felt very unsafe um, during COVID. And if you were a city dweller, I mean, you could go to parks and stuff, but, you know, I mean, nature was the safe space for people during, during COVID. And so many people got into outdoor activities and spending time in nature, hiking, fishing, mushroom foraging, biking, doing outdoor adventure activities. And a lot of those people, you know, Became true converts rather than just, you know, momentary voyeurs in that space. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: And uh, you know, a cabin is 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 a safe, secluded space, and a in what was then also a safe, secluded space, nature. Yeah. Um. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that you know, for for those that were out there and, and and into cabin culture pre-COVID, I mean, I'm guessing that it was a a huge change, right? I mean, it just it just went next level after COVID.
1: Yeah. And in some ways it's interesting because the more, yeah, the more, um, people on Instagram now with cabins, there is an element of almost, and I don't think this is necessarily intentional, but to, to be relevant in such a crowded space, there's almost this feeling of like one upping, like each cabin has to be like. Oh, well, I need to have like a hammock built into my deck. Oh, I need to build it into a cave. Oh, I need to heat my swimming hole that happens to naturally be there. That's the biggest difference I've noticed is that with saturation becomes a stronger desire to like stand out amongst them, which I don't think is inherently a bad thing because I think it pushes creativity. But I think sometimes the simplicity of the original cabins gets lost in that noise. And yet the simplicity is often what drives us there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, you know, since I got on Instagram in 2021, um, you know, it seems like there's more and more new cabins all the time. And I I know it makes sense economically. A lot of people have done really well and they've enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Why would you not expand? Um, And yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that same action. You know, I, I mean, my, my next build right now, it's, I'm not one upping the Hayward house. I'm actually going smaller, just a one bedroom, one bath, 600 square feet. Um, but I'm doing that because I want, I want a lower price point. And also it's like that locked over there. That's all it could really handle size wise. And I, I'm a strong believer that the, you know, the, the, the house is an extension of the land. Um, it it needs to respect the space around it mm-hmm. and what the aesthetic of the land is telling telling it what it should be.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, I love I love bare bones basic cabins. Um,
1: yeah.
2: I I think there's an immense beauty and simplicity. And just you know, sometimes the less things that you have to distract you, allow you to tune in that much more to whatever it is you want to tune into. Maybe it's a book, maybe it's time with loved ones. Maybe it's just taking in the ebb and flow of nature around you.
1: Yeah. I like that. And one of the things I think about a lot in the design of our cabin, which I can take no credit for, but uh, Pete Long designed it. And he is so intentional. The cabin itself is very simple looking, but he's so intentional with the window placement size and shape of them. So that when you're there, One, I didn't have to decorate with much artwork because most of the walls were windows. But I find that when I'm in this space, I spend more time looking out the windows. And that actually is the decor, right? Like the nature surrounding you actually is connected to the inside, even when, to your point, which I think is really good, that we like them because we feel safe in a space that might not be inherently safe at certain times of the year. So in Maine, that would be winter. And that's my favorite time to be there. And I wonder if that's why. Because it's like you don't actually get to experience the woods that much in winter, but you can when you're in a cabin because it's giving you safety from that.
2: Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I think that the Hayward House shines brightest in winter. Um, Not only because the angle of the sun and the leaves being off the trees on our southern exposure just blast the place in light to the point where between New year and end of February, you need to wear sunglasses inside here between the hours of 11 and 3. Um, But yeah, I mean, nature is the star here. Um, I loved Pete's interview on the podcast. He had just so many brilliant things to say that I was in 100% agreement on. Yeah, and, and as he was talking about about windows, I kind of kept my head. You know, the you know, spend the money on windows because windows are cheaper than any art I would want to look at, and probably better. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a view just to my left here of, you know, it's the interior water area of a marsh, then the actual marsh with the tamaracks growing on it. And then the main lake and the far shoreline off in the distance. And uh, prop boats can't come in the marshy area here. So it's always just full of sandhill cranes and swans and blue herons. And the otters come in here a couple times a year. And the beavers and the muskrats. And it's, you know, I've got deer walking through the front yard. And uh, yeah. Seeing the cranes out out in the marsh, you know, the, they're about twice the height of the marsh grasses and the profile sticks out. And I just I love seeing them out there going about doing whatever I was doing in the cabin and then looking up a couple of minutes later and seeing them in a different location. It's mm-hmm. super majestic and and it's the show. And uh, yeah. I, I will never get sick of that.
1: And I love that. When you have that outside your window, who needs a TV? If you have good company, a wood stove, and all of that happening outside the window, that's what I find at the cabin. We'll just sit there and like look outside. Even at my house in Hillsborough, we have new baby deer's this season, a couple that were born in our yard and we'll just sit inside me and my little dog who wants to kill them, but we'll just sit outside and like watch them (laughs) feeding in in the morning. And it's like, who needs to like scroll on your phone when the deer are outside the window, you know, and cabins are just more likely to have that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's why, why cabins are special is that, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's a, there's a different show. It, 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 frames your mindset to connect with y- your surroundings in a different way. And I I don't have a TV. I mean, I have a TV in the main bedroom so people can Netflix and chill at night if they want to, but I was never going to have a TV in the main room. And for the five other cabins I'll build here, I, I won't have a TV in there as well. Um, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. I've had people ask, like, do you think not having a TV in the main room is, a detriment to to bookings and i'm like i actually don't think so and i think if anything it'll help me get repeat business from people that will be like you know what i loved the fact that you didn't have a tv in the main area we played board games we read we paid more attention to the fire our kids became obsessed with getting wood for the fire um, you know, we hadn't all sat around and done a puzzle together in ages. Yeah. Um, we had great conversations. So I I think it, you know, not having a TV has been a huge plus for this place.
1: I agree. And it's not that people don't want to do all those things. It's just when there's a TV, we're so programmed. At least I, let me speak for myself in my house, but like that's what we do at night. There's only two of us. We come home, we sit out on the porch, <laughs> we have dinner. And then eventually at some point, we sit down in front of the TV and we're like, what are we going to watch tonight? And when you take that away, it's just like, okay, I'm not sad about it. Let me just figure out what else we're going to do. And then in retrospect, at the end of that trip, we had one guest who wrote about, they've been, they have fostered children for like years and years. And they said this was their first break and they stayed up late at night in front of the fire, reading books out loud to each other. And I was like, I just find it hard to imagine people doing that at their houses. You know what I mean? Cause it's just like the craziness of the week and all of that, but that mental image. And once you experience that, I think you're totally right. It might not, it might impact bookings, but repeat bookings, I think people will see the value in it.
2: Yeah, yeah, or just you know that might be something that initiates a more detailed review from the guest. You know, yeah. I mean, I've had guests in, in in my reviews praise the fact that the place didn't have a TV, mm-hmm. and 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 then talks about how that fostered connection. And I, you know, again, I think that's another kind of secret sauce area of of how you curate your, your short-term rental is, you know, steering people towards experiences and feelings that they might not get at yep. their regular place of residence. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, if you, if you, if you know, I, I make every effort I can to Encourage people to use the canoe and the paddleboards because paddling out through the marsh. Well, there are a few areas where it's it's kind of difficult to get through. You're up close and personal with an ecological environment you've probably you know never experienced in that way. And then when you get out to the main lake and you go swim out on Eagle Island, it's it's truly magical and i'll go as far to be like hey you know here are the sunset hours at at these times of year you know i really suggest that you you know try to you know grab some of the firewood put it in the bow grab the birch bark grab the lighter you know go out to eagle island for a sunset bonfire you know it's a bit of work but trust me we're gonna you're gonna it's gonna be memorable.
1: That's right. And that I think is the biggest difference between Airbnb and hotels. And I love seeing when we haven't lost that because I do think originally Airbnb was like in your house. So it happened organically. My first one was just in my guest room. So guests would like pop out in the morning to get coffee and be like, where should we go for lunch today? Right? So it just kind of happened organically. You didn't need an intense guest book or anything. You were just there. But once it moved more into these separate spaces, I love seeing hosts who are like, okay, how can I replicate the experience of if I were here, what would all of my insight about this place and location, how could that make your stay better? And I saw in a guest book, one place that I stayed, there was a page, and we now have one in ours, that says like, if I were here welcoming you, here were some things I'd be sure to tell you. Or like, if you're bored one day, here are five things you shouldn't miss. And so one of ours is like, make it a priority to wake up for sunrise one day. I know it's early, but I promise you won't regret it. And that's a thing that you might not know or do otherwise, but if the host loves that place, they want you to have that experience too.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, that's super important. And, and again, kind of goes back to, you know, the better you know your area and can be a fanboy of all it has to offer, the the better you can, you know, transfer that experience over to your guests. Um, you know, I'm I'm a fanboy of Hayward. I love cross country skiing. I love hiking here. I love mushroom foraging. I, you know, make sure to always go to any new bars or restaurants that might open up cuz I I need to, you know, constantly be editing my recommended places to eat and drink and right. and things to do. And the more that you can you can live the area. Um, I, I think it just it it makes for a more authentic, memorable, special experience to what you know the the cabin vacation can be, um, especially for somebody who's not familiar with the area. And I I get a lot of those. I mean, that's that's a whole kind of a whole different topic here. I don't mean to hijack it, but you know, when you nail the design and aesthetic of a cabin it's, you know, the cabin itself becomes an attraction, not just the area that you're in, if it is a touristy area.
1: And that's what you've done really well. It's surprising to me that you haven't been on social media that long, because I feel like, you know, obviously there's a lot of cabins to follow on Instagram. And to be honest, I've honestly stopped following a lot, not because I don't want to connect with people because I do, but you get overwhelmed with like comparison and like, should I build another one? And, oh, I want to do that. And I think there's something about that, that isn't always healthy for me, not for everyone, but yours (laughs) has made me like be intrigued more about Hayward. And I knew nothing about the sport of lumberjacking. And I've now watched different lumberjacking videos and know this year was like the second time I think I saw you post about it happening. And so knowing that those things are happening and, you know, kind of traditions and this small town in Wisconsin that I've never even heard of makes me think, okay, well, my husband's from Minneapolis. So next time we go to Minneapolis, maybe we should like Check out this place, right? And I think that's the beautiful thing of using social media in a fanboy kind of way, like you're saying, to get other people kind of hyped on small towns they would never have known about otherwise.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's a form of salesmanship that I can just fully get behind because because I truly love it. And I mean, I don't, I've never actually liked the act of selling. Um, something about it always makes me feel kind of inherently like a like a huckster you know I yep. I believe I, I want to believe and this is largely because of because of my educational background in economics that you know people know their preferences and make rational decisions for themselves so why should I ever have to sell something mm-hmm. but when I'm you know describing Hayward and its natural environment and what there is to do here and what makes it Special and unique, and not just some, you know, town in northern Wisconsin that happens to have have a lot of lakes that people, you know, like to visit. Um, you know, it, it it makes that natural and yeah. and easy. And and I love I love promoting Hayward. I love this town. I love the events, and I just I really really love this this land and this lake and the natural environment and how you can immerse yourself in it and really you know, find a deep emotional connection with it.
1: That's why I think picking location, if I ever had advice for anyone, I'm like, sure, you can go on Air DNA and see what an area is graded. But I've always just picked places that I like to go because selfishly our short-term rentals have all been places I want to spend more time. And then if I can share it with other people, that'll be easy. But then it's not selling, it's sharing. I'm not selling freeport on Instagram. I'm just sharing with you. Like this is what I'm doing when I'm there. This is what I love about it. And if that sells you on making a trip here, great. But if it doesn't, like that's not, that's not my goal. I'm just sharing with you. I also think it builds, I'd be curious your thought on how this has changed your relationships with local businesses. Cause for me, I feel like it built a really strong relationship with the ecosystem of small businesses in the area, which has been really fun and rewarding and and long-term I do think can benefit short-term rentals done right.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I can't, you know, Hayward is is a pretty large vacation market in the summertime you know i mean the the, the town has a population of 2500 people uh the surrounding area you know another 2000 maybe but in the summertime there's probably you know 30,000 people here right now at cabins and resorts so i mean i'm i'm just a a drop in the bucket personally but I just think about, you know, anyone who might be, you know, poo-pooing short-term rentals and, and yeah yet yeah, and a whole variety of effects they can have on other markets, you know, home prices, property taxes, availability of employee housing, cost of housing. I would say that, you know, I mean, with the Hayward House, I'm bringing people to Hayward that didn't know that Hayward even existed. Or was a place worth visiting, and those people are spending a lot of money. Um, you know, if they're coming here to ski, especially skiers, skiers drop cash. Um, you know, so if I can share the joy of this town and and help put it on the map, then then that's a gift to everyone. And uh, yeah, I mean, I do. Really do, you know, all I can to support the local businesses that would benefit from that and have a good relationship. I donate money to the American Birkebeiner Foundation every year because I think they've done more for this town than any other entity in Mm. the last 40 years. I mean, they went from what was just a ski race to basically a lifestyle brand for silent sports. Mm. They've got... Mountain biking events, they do all these clinics, they've built a bunch of single track mountain bike trails. They're gonna bring a World Cup ski race here in two wow. two years. Um, you know, so supporting those organizations that 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 make your area attractive, I I think is incredibly mm-hmm. important. And I'll yeah. I'll always really try to do my best to to play my part in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We only have nine minutes left, which I regret because there are a whole lot of questions on here I haven't gotten to yet, but I do want, you and I have messaged about a lot of hot topics when it comes to hosting. (laughs) So I don't want to miss the hot topic section of this. We're going to do this a little more rapid fire than we normally do because there's only nine minutes left, but um, let's start with the Airbnb review process. If you could change one thing about the way that Airbnb reviews work, what would it be?
2: Ooh, well, I don't know. I would like a much broader range of of ratings. You know, if you're only allowed to rate one out of five stars, um, five is perfect. was your stay. Absolutely perfect. Um, I I, I think there still would be a lot of tens or 100s if we were doing a one through 100. But going down to four, the 80 percent, that just that's too big of a gap. And I know that Airbnb is not going to change that because by giving one through five, you're steering people towards fives. So Mm -hmm. I would like more differentiation. Um, when the average Airbnb review is a 4.84, um, Mm -hmm. leaving, leaving a four just isn't an option. You're saying that a place is very below average. So I would change that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely tricky. You have a lot of windows in your cabin. So do we, what is your stance on curtains?
2: Uh, I would never put curtains in here because I don't like the way curtains would look on the walls. Number one. And I like agree. And, yeah. Yeah. This is the cab experience. I've got blinds in the bedroom. So, you know, you're safe and private there, but I straight up say in the listing, there are no blinds or curtains in the main living and kitchen areas. Here's far, how far away the other houses are. It's never deterred anybody. I mean, this is not a place to come if you're a person that, you know, wants to keep yourself shut in all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cancellation policies. How strict are you?
2: Uh, I do the, the 30 day on both of them. It just, you know, in this market, you people book in advance and it can be hard to find things last minute. I don't waver from those policies either. If somebody has a story that I believe and I'm sympathetic to it, I will do the, you know, you can go ahead and cancel. We're not changing the policy, but any money I get back on a new booking, I will refund to you. And it is shocking at how many times, you know, people end up showing up. When they told you a story that would make you think there was no they, way they were going to be there. So mm-hmm. to say it, but people are full of shit a lot and you shouldn't let your business suffer because of that.
1: That has been the biggest learning curve for me because I really want to believe everyone and trust them. But then once I talked to you and started saying that, the amount of people who didn't cancel was really surprising to me, which then made me trust people even less. And so it made me stricter (laughs) in my cancellation policy because I'm like, well, is everyone lying to me now?
2: Yeah, and I I just have a prime example of that. Just happened last night and today. I got a message at eleven last night about the people arriving in three days. Uh, The woman's father ended up in the ICU, and for because of an accident, and they said that they didn't think they could make it. What could we do? And I, you know, first express understanding and sympathy i i I believe them um and i said hey you know just that i stick to my policies here's what i can do and haven't heard back from them since which makes me think that they're going to make the effort to get here now which if they're making the effort to get here how bad were things i don't know that's not for me to judge but i'm just saying that you know when it comes to money people will say and do things that aren't necessarily always and in line with the reality of how they feel about their pocketbook or yeah. or losing out on something so yeah i i would just say stick to your policies if, if as as long as they're clear and transparent when people book and they have full agency you you've done your service
1: i will say i like the addition of airbnb travel insurance that people can choose at checkout, because now I know that everyone booking has opted out of paying extra to have that coverage. So then when they're trying to cancel through me, basically what they're asking is, I would like for you to be my travel insurance that I actually haven't paid for. And I feel (laughs) way more okay being like, actually, you had an option, you chose not to pay for it. And now you want me to eat the cost. And I can't do that. This is, we run a business, like we can't do that. And that's made it easier for me to to treat it like a business because it, it is and they had an option that they opted out of. Okay. Um tree houses that don't involve trees. Oh well
2: yeah that's it's not a treehouse unless there are and I, I would go as far to say that like trees should be at least fifty percent of the structural mm-hmm. support in order to call it a treehouse. Um that's a high what I was in cur- yeah, I mean, I was back when I was living in Costa Rica. I was good friends with the owners of a place called Finca Bay Vista, and they were building, you know, 1500 square foot houses, 50 feet in the air, all supported by trees in a tropical rainforest. I mean, that that is a treehouse. These places, wherever that put something eight feet up in the air on stilts and then call it an amazing treehouse, it's not that's, that's a stilt built or elevated home, not a treehouse.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you can call it an amazing stilt-built cabin. You can call it those things. Yeah. It just it does do a little yeah. bit of disservice to the people like you're referring to who put in the work to do it on actual trees. It's like, okay, well, what do they get to call theirs that somehow differentiates it? The super tree house? What is it?
2: Yeah, and I feel the same way about all sorts of puppery terms like sustainable. Like just because you built your cabin out of a container doesn't mean that it's sustainable. I mean sustainable means that like you could go on in perpetuity. Um I, I actually I don't think vacation homes in general are sustainable or ecologically friendly. There's a bunch of travel miles and building excess housing. I mean that's not okay. environmentally friendly. I'm not saying not to do it, but like don't don't call yourself sustainable when yeah the industry, the travel industry as a whole is just simply not, it's not environmentally friendly. It's not sustainable.
1: Yeah. And you can argue that the sharing economy is more sustainable because it's, oh, less people are building cabins, except the amount of people that have stayed at our cabin that said, this has really inspired us to build our own cabin. Then tells me this is not sustainable. If I were sharing and they were like, great, this can be our cabin too. And we'll come this many times a year. But if instead everyone's like, great, this has shown me what I want to build. And now we're all cutting down trees and building cabins. Not that we shouldn't all be able to do that, but I agree it, it questions sustainability. Yeah. Okay. Last one. How do you feel about formulaic reels on Instagram?
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if they have good music and just, and the edit cuts are right then they can be enjoyable to watch it's just that you know in my short period of time on instagram i was there right before reels kind of blew up and after and i you know still believe that you know video is a more immersive medium than than still photography when it's done right but when it's done poorly it just looks like more and more low effort And I get Instagram as a business wants to make it easy for people to make content. And, and, and that's, that's a good business decision. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you see the same song over and over and just putting in a few clips that don't really tell a story and you're just creating content for the sake of creating content, um, you know, your page is your property by all means, do what you want. It's just that so often I would just consider it to be shit posting Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I like it. I I like to see artistic effort put in. Yeah. Um, that's what I really enjoy digesting on Instagram. And unfortunately I just, I feel like we're seeing less and less of that and it's unfortunate, but fortunately there are enough people out there that really do care about, about the content and want to incorporate artistic, original and unique elements in. And that's, that's Instagram saving grace for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There are people with a lot of creativity. I mean, I'm totally guilty of formulaic reels because it's like a machine, right? You have to like keep putting out content, but also trying to figure out, okay, how am I putting in effort, you know, every four or five reels so that I'm doing something different, but there's way more creative people than me. And it's fun to watch their content when you see it pop up and you're like, whoa, it's very engaging from the viewer end.
2: Yeah. And I, I like the fact that you can, you know, you can, you can. You know, train your algorithm based on what you like, and you can hit the mute button on stuff you don't like or they're not interested. And yep. uh, you know, try and curate that experience. I seem to keep on still getting way and way more shit that I don't care about in the feed, but whatever there there are enough upsides of Instagram for me to, you know very much enjoy using that platform,
1: yeah, yeah I second that. oh, I'm so sad this one plays so fast. Before we wrap <laughs> up, can you tell the people where they can find you?
2: Yeah. Hayward house on Instagram and, uh, the link to my Airbnb listing site is on there as well. And, uh, and working on a website and some direct booking links. So those will be on Instagram as well.
1: Okay. Cassidy's leaving out a few things. You can also find him at the lumberjack lifestyle. And if you go on (laughs) YouTube and search Cassidy Shear, you can also find a ton of lumberjacking, including an appearance on live with Kelly and Ryan. So I highly recommend searching him in those locations as well.
0: Yo
2: ho! That is the <laughs> official lumberjack cheer. I love it. And it. I love it. Makes me feel good. Yeah, my uh, whenever my cleaning staff and I depart after our little powwows here, we always do a big yo ho together, and everybody smiles and feels good.
1: What a good way to end! Yeah. I like that, Cassidy. Yeah, thank great. you so much for making the time. Uh, I know it's been a busy summer for you and I'm grateful that we could finally make this happen.
2: It, it was a lot of fun and uh, yeah, keep on doing what you're doing. A lot of people really enjoy it.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you heard, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or share some of your favorite parts over on Apple Podcasts and a review. If you have any suggestions for guests or feedback, you can always find us on Instagram at Cozy Rock Cabin and the chalet frame spelled c-h-a-l-a see you next week thanks for joining us